Hey everybody, Craig here. I've got a little bit of a different episode for you today. It's, well, kind of different and kind of the same. Uh, today is a Rings of Power uh, episode. I'm going to be talking about the Rings of Power with Jack Butler, a friend of the podcast going back a few years. Uh, he asked me to come on his show uh, and discuss the Rings of Power, and I thought this is perfect because a lot of people have been asking for our take here at the Legendarium. And so it's a little different because I don't have the rest of the panel, and we may still do something with them, but I thought uh, this would be a good stopgap for you. So I asked Jack if I could uh, recycle the audio from his show and uh, use it on ours, do a little cross-posting, and he graciously said yes. So the following is the audio from his show, the Young Americans podcast over at Ricochet. He and I talked for, what, a little over an hour about the rings of power kind of the final episode and the show as a whole what we thought of it what went wrong mostly and what went right as well so big thanks to jack for letting us cross post this and with that let's get on with it get on with it yes get on with it get on with it was rings of power worth forging going to answer that question on a special Lord of the Rings only episode of Ricochet's Young Americans podcast. All the rest of you who do not care about Lord of the Rings, uh, either stop listening or prepare yourself for some extremely nerdy Tolkien content. Uh, I'm your host, Jack Butler, still a young-ish American, age 29, uh, still in Washington, D.C., still National Review Submissions Editor. You can still follow me at Young Americans with a Z, at this podcast rather, at Young Americans with a Z. You can still follow me at Jack Butler 4815 on Twitter. Please subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere else you get a podcast and give us some nice reviews there. Why not? And let's see, most millennial thing I have done lately. Hmm. Ah, okay, here's a good one. I was hanging out on the roof of a friend of mine's apartment last night that is uh, it wasn't one of those uh i mean dc is full of these uh soulless yuppie high rises it wasn't one of those if it was one of those like if it had a pool on top of it then that would have been too millennial for me i have over the summer i was at a place like that and i just felt you, ridiculous but jack when you say soulless yuppie high rise i can hear the envy dripping from your voice so <laughs> yes let's right. not pretend yeah, that's me. I'm a soulless yuppie. Um, you got me. But uh, so that's my most mental thing. And my guest, who has rudely interrupted me already, um, is Craig Hanks. <laughs> no, he's not rudely. It's all part of the back and forth. Hello, Craig. Hello, Jack. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I, you know, I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's nice to have a thing. You know, like um, like some people. There, there's that old joke on Friends when he was like, "I'm gonna have to get a snake." Because I'm gonna be alone. I'm I'm gonna be an old man. I need a thing, like a hook, and I'm gonna be the old man with a snake. I'm the Tolkien nerd. I'm just glad that I have that thing. So when you need somebody for that sweet, sweet nerd on nerd podcast action, you've got somebody <laughs> to call. Like I, it's my thing. So yeah, it's, it's... and you're you're the one thing to rule them all. Um, you might say. <laughs> but the uh, so dare I ask you your age? Uh, you know, I, do you want to know? No, I usually ask people who are who are under thirty, and I feel pretty confident that you're un, you're not under thirty. So I'll just let's. Just I'm not. I'm. I'm not over forty, Jack. Okay, so somewhere in there, uh, that's good enough. Uh, yeah, it's. 
last time we talked, I think I had a, we were, you were freaking out because it was like, oh, three more years and I'll be 30. What am I going to do? And I had some grand suggestion for you, but I'm too old to remember what that was. Oh, I remember what it was, but I'm not going to remind people of it because I might use it. Um, (laughs) So uh, yeah, the, the last episode, I can't remember the title of it, but you were on to discuss the, basically whether fantasy literature was actually a worthy genre, like whether it's something that is a is has artistic merit or is just a childish waste of time and you are of course my answer was no yes uh, correct um but where are you currently uh salt lake city okay or you know a few few minutes outside but yeah fair enough no need to be uh super specific and what is so aside from being the tolkien nerd uh what what is what are your credentials for being the tolkien nerd (laughs) <laughs> so i have no real credentials uh but you have a I, podcast I that's true that's not a real credential though it, these <laughs> days I, I will say when i started it that was a whole thing because that was 2013 i think i started the podcast so it's been a minute and now you know this is like blogs in 2005 uh it, you know it's not a cool thing it's not an interesting thing <laughs> to have a podcast anymore so uh, but yes, I do run the Legendarium podcast. So, you know, anybody who's familiar with Tolkien knows that word. Um, and uh, it's it's not just about Tolkien. We take on all sorts of sci-fi fantasy topics, but uh, but it is largely a book club surrender, c- centered <laughs> around those. those that was topics. an interesting Freudian slip there. Um, we'll yeah, that, sorry. We'll yeah. Slide. Uh, yes, it's a great podcast and not just when I'm on it. Um but it is pretty good when I'm on it. I'll, I'll have to say, but uh, to think about the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, the Amazon Studios uh, TV show that uh, just fin- just wrapped up its first season. I have been watching it, or I watched it pretty faithfully. Usually, about a day after each episode came out, uh, typically with a group of friends, and I just want it because I'm like you. I'm I'm a, a Tolkien guy. It's my thing. I'm like the Tolkien mm-hmm. guy at National Review. So I, I, I basically was contractually obligated to watch it for brand purposes. I was also interested in, in, in seeing it and seeing what they did with it because it was, uh, I think, not since really the, the Star Wars sequel trilogy uh, was in pre-production and came out was something as closely watched as a like like a new addition to a an established universe um and so it's just inevitably that it's inevitable that it's going to to draw a lot of attention and a lot of controversy and now it's over the the first season is over that that is the second season is currently in production uh but that who knows how long that will take uh but i i just wanted to you know think about the first season of this show and I want to start by just dwelling on the finale. So I'll start with my finale thoughts, Craig, and you can assess, you can add your own thoughts as we discuss. So basically the, there were two um, mysteries that were anchoring much of the first season, which we should elaborate for people who for, for whatever reason don't already know what it was about yet are still listening. (laughs) Basically (laughs) the show takes place in the second age of middle earth, which the we see the very very tail end of in the prologue for uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the ad- adaptation of the Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, which you I believe memorably described as your your entree into this whole uh, fantasy universe that you didn't really know what any of this was until 
Kate Blanchett's voice subtly intones over the opening uh, notes of Howard Shore's score, and then suddenly you were in. Oh, absolutely. It, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Yes. And you what you rushed to a Barnes and Noble as soon as you got out of the theater or something like that. So, yeah, it was pretty it was pretty quick. So yeah. I was enamored very quickly and yeah, devoured all that stuff. So but that that was the very the, the tail end of the second age. Uh, but there there was a whole lot of stuff that happened before that. And I think the gist of the Rings of Power is to show all of those things, but in a compressed and altered for television and uh contorted by rights agreements way <laughs> i mean those are, those are all things we should keep in mind and so that's that's what it, that's what it's about and so the first season was the only the first bit of that attempt to show the second a the trajectory of the second age and there were two mysteries that essentially anchored the first season one was uh who is hal brand this basically one of the few characters who was not connected to any well- let me let me stop you there because the the question wasn't who is Halbrand. The question is where is Sauron? Yeah, that's true. That, I was gonna say that next, but yes, that that is the better question. Uh, they turned out to be related questions. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Where is Sauron? Because we have we'll, we can probably we can either get into this more later or we can give a, a sort of cliff notes now. But at the as the first season of this show begins, we're at a place in. Middle Earth history where Sauron has been humbled. He's been laid low. And but people are still like freaking out, basically. They think he's plotting somewhere, but they can't they don't know what he's up to. And so every, Galadriel is essentially on a like a, Captain Ahab quest to find whatever he is up to and just utterly obliterate him. But he can't he, she can't really find him. And all of her elf friends and then this is a total bastardization, not just of the Tolkien legendarium, but even of the show itself. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just trying to communicate it to to lay listeners, perhaps. All of her elf friends are like, chill. What are you worried about? It's over. Uh, that's that's what the first episode essentially Be- takes place. Yeah, because Sauron wasn't the big bad originally. It was his boss, Morgoth. And yes. they said, hey, we, we beat him. And by we, of course, they mean they, like gods beat him. Right. Uh, and, and, they, you know, and they throw him down and chain him for all eternity and whatever. So they're like, hey, let's just party can we just party and she is the ultimate anti-partier right uh, at the beginning of the first season <laughs> no she's a she's a total buzzkill uh that's that's <laughs> definitely what galadriel is but yeah so the, the the that is the the big mystery that drives uh season one and then the other one is who is this guy who's literally called the stranger uh who has these mysterious powers shows up as a, essentially a comet crashing into Earth uh, among these proto-hobbits called Harfoots. And we we see hints throughout the first season as to both these mysteries. But the, the finale of this season, we'll just go straight into this, revealed, as I just hinted, Halbrand, this guy who wasn't really, seemed to be an invention for the show, showed up at, like literally in the middle of the sea, and she, he and Galadriel had this this weirdly entwined um, character journey that brought them each first to Numenor, the Island of Men, and then to the Southlands, the place that, I'm not even going to bother say, saying spoiler alert because we're talking about the finale, becomes Mordor. Uh, it turns out he was Sauron all along. Oh, <laughs> Shock wow. and horror, oh my gosh. Yes, yeah, so I, I'll, I, I'm curious what you have to say about this, but I basically, I don't know, by like the third or fourth episode basically there's a moment i think it was in the third episode where 
Halbrand is in Numenor and he stares longingly at a, a forge as a smith is working. I'm just like, hmm, <laughs> what could that yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. So I was I was suspecting he was Sauron for a while. And then by the penultimate episode of the first season, as he's clearly like grievously wounded and Galadriel's like, no, let's go on a several days horse journey to my elf friends. You clearly need their help. I'm just <sighs> like, okay, this is clearly some. She's being irrational, or, or this is a real stretch. And then it, he was Sauron. So I, I was, I was hoping the show was going to be slightly more interesting than that, uh, but it turned out not to be. Do you, do you have the same sense of this, this, the way this turned out? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that there are. Uh, look, we're going to get into lore stuff and time compression and shifts in, you know, characters and all that stuff. That's that's all fine. But just in terms of storytelling, there were some really frustrating things um, like their reliance on a mystery that they stop asking you to care about after about two or three episodes. So the the whole like, who is Sauron? Where is Sauron? All this stuff. Uh, we we open the series with Galadriel on this quest and she's in uh, Faradwaith and she's looking for him in this old, you know, fortress on the top of a mountain. And, uh, and it's, you, you can debate whether it's compelling or ridiculous or whatever, but at least it's clear. I want to find this guy. I don't believe that he's gone. Um, and then as things go you know she jumps into the ocean we should probably talk about that too she jumps into yeah. the ocean she finds the sh- shipwrecked uh halbrand and then the show just kind of stops asking you to wonder where sauron is as it uh you know now she's dealing with the numenorians and now she's trying to figure out halbrand's parentage and now she's you know now she's worried about the southlands and oh we have to save these people you know where where's that determination so there's there's that storytelling issue where they're setting up a mystery and then not asking you to actually care about it by the time they reveal what the answer is. And then the other thing is the same trap that uh, the eighth season of Game of Thrones ran into, seventh and eighth season, I guess, with the um, the travel compression, the oh, geographical yeah. <laughs> compression, where it, it, like for the story, for story reasons, it's, hey, we need Halbrand to be in, uh, in Lindon. Uh, so he's just gonna be there. Yeah, sure. He <laughs> took a sure he took a spear through the through the spleen, you know. But uh, whatever, it's fine. We'll get him there. It's it's the it's one thing that uh, the Jackson trilogies for you know whatever faults we want to point out with the Jackson trilogy. The one thing that it did really well in echoing the books was giving you a sense of just how huge the world is. A lot of walking. Um, it's a ton of walking. You know, <laughs> even when they're that scene in the fellowship where they're, they're taking the, the canoes from Lothlorien and, and going to uh, Parth Galen, I think it is. Um, yeah. And it, it takes a while. They, they actually take a moment to give you 90 seconds, 120 seconds of just watching these characters float down a river and giving you the impression that they've been at it for a while. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it's, so now we fast forward to Rings of Power and you're in Mordor, you're hundreds and hundreds of miles away. You know, even on horseback, even healthy, this is a journey that's going to take weeks. And she's like, oh, we rode for several days, you know, and <laughs> he's been bleeding internally the whole time. And is there anything we can do to help? It can, can we help this corpse next to me? You know? I don't yeah, know. that it's, was, it's that was why it like, 
it made it so obvious. I'm like, dude, the only way this this makes any sense if he's just like some kind of <laughs> Maiar. Like, how else could he just survive <laughs> on a horse for several days while grievously wounded? So that that was one of the things that fed into the like, oh, yeah, he's gonna be Sauron, and I'm just I'm gonna be kind of it's gonna be kind of mess me. Um, so. But you were met also not merely on the logistics, but on the overall revelation of him as Sauron. Yeah, because I didn't care. I, why should I care? There are so many other things going on. We haven't even brought up the ridiculous uh, tree Silmaril, Mithril story. Oh, yeah, we'll get into but, that later, but, I think. But there's like the the Southlanders and the Harfoots and the and the Mithril storyline and there's so many other things they stopped asking me to care about the central question of the story so why the heck would I care when they reveal the answer I don't yeah and and even the like I think we're gonna get more so that the the absolute confirmation before it actually happened for me was the uh, when Halbrand talks about giving a gift to mm, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm like all right <laughs> all right there it is um but that was that like surely we're going to this is a reference to the uh to anatar the sauron's fair form who is presumed is is the one it's, who helps the the rings being become forged in right the uh, on that second age anatar being a, an elvish word for giver of gifts yes uh but did we just like totally blow the, through lord of gifts i guess yeah lord of gifts i believe is what it is uh i should have i as a fourth grader, I tried to teach myself Elvish, uh, but it didn't stick. Um, I think we all we all did something like that <laughs> at some point. But did we just blow through the whole Anatar thing, or is that going to come back somehow? But even though uh, several characters already know who he is, like why? Yeah. If that same guy shows up, like why would Galadriel not just be like, "Hey, <laughs> so yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple things on this. One is. Uh, a way that the show has screwed it up. And then one is a way that it feels like they might have, but maybe they can bring it back. The way that they screwed it up is with the timing of the creation of the rings. So the, the, uh, the story goes that Anatar uh, shows up in Lindon and he's helping Gilgalad create the rings of power. And they come up with this process for how to forge them and how to imbue them with power. Uh, and so they, they do this. They create these magic rings, the great rings. And they created 16 of them that became the nine for men and seven for dwarves, right? And then they they kind of figure out who he is. And Gilgalad keeps making rings. Or sorry, I keep saying Gilgalad. I meant Kilobrimbor. Kilobrimbor keeps making rings. Uh, and he makes the three elvish rings. But yeah. the difference being that Sauron had no hand in their creation. So... It's I, the way I kind of think of it is uh, is like source code. He was able to inject code into the other rings that uh, gave him a master override when he put on the the one ring, right? Yeah. But because he never touched the three elven rings, he didn't ever get to put that code in. Um, and so he, while they are kind of under its influence, they're not under its direct control, and it, it's a little messy that way. But anyway. So where are the other 16 rings? We don't know. Uh, why Why have we not created those yet? So they've kind of already inverted the way in which, or the, the order in which the rings were created. Um, now, a way in which they could still get away with it is the fact that Sauron is a shapeshifter. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you read the Silmarillion, there's the, 
the scene or the the chapter i guess where galadriel's brother dies is actually um uh, it's detailed in in the story of baron and luthien and in that there's a moment where this hound has sauron by the neck and sauron keeps ch- changing forms right he's a snake oh, he's yeah. a wolf he's a bat he's a whatever trying to get out of the jaws of this dog right so i only bring that up to say that sauron doesn't just have two forms it's not like he's the you know metal album cover like sauron the cruel that we know from the the trilogy right yeah and and halbrand and that's it like he can take many many different forms so i suspect i don't know for sure but i suspect that we'll see a different version of him in season two and that he will be named Anatar. I, I could be wrong, but uh, that could be a way that they get out of it. So he kind of reintroduces himself uh, with a different form and a different name. So it'll just be uh, very weird, though. Like, hey, I know how to make rings. And <laughs> every, uh, uh, nice to meet you. <laughs> and then everyone is just kind of like, yeah, sure. He seems he seems like a cool guy. Uh, let's go with <laughs> it. Has anybody ever told you about alloys? Yeah, this one guy last year, he, he man, it was amazing. I mean, I may be the greatest Elvin Smith since uh, Feanor, but uh, alloys really blew my mind. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, we have we have our problems with how that plot unfolded. I mean, I, I still think it would have, <laughs> I, I still think it would have been more interesting. I had other, I, I had a theory that Sauron would not actually be seen at all in the first season. Like he'd just mm. literally be speaking to people behind the scenes, like he was still in the the unseen world or something. Uh, and that I I was holding out hope that Halbrand would become uh, uh, a Nazgul or something like that, but it didn't happen. Uh, now it's, this is not to say that simply because a show does not uh, live out my fan theories, it's bad. But uh, like there are, there are still i think there are still many complaints to make about the way that plot lay unfolded and it, even even having said that i think the stranger harfoot plot line was for one thing it suffered the the defect of being kind of boring i i did not i don't know about you but i i found the harfoots for the most part pretty uninteresting i agree for the most part uh, and again it's I'm willing to forgive certain discrepancies and changes mm-hmm. to the lore and all that. Like the, the Harfoots existed, but it, this is a bit early. Um, you know, the, the hobbits were in the Shire for, you know, several hundred years before the events of the Lord of the Rings, but we're talking like 3,500 years before yep. the events of the Lord of the Rings. And, you know, so the Harfoots shouldn't be showing up now. I'm willing to forgive that if you tell me a good story, but <laughs> while the performance of the the main gal i can't remember her name who plays nori uh she was great um and i i don't think we should take away from her performance i thought she did a great job um her the storyline she was stuck with was not well crafted yeah she had to keep uh, so, doing really stupid things <laughs> to, to drive <laughs> the story along well and, and even say like there's the checkoff's gun of the uh the wolf in the first or second episode when she's out gathering berries with all of her little hobbit friends harfoot friends and there's a wolf that shows up and then like there's some wolves that show up later in the season but that's never to my memory at least never really capitalized upon like that that yeah. gun never gets fired uh where you know little things like that where it's like what why are we here and the answer to why are we here is 
well, this is Middle Earth. And, you know, it's like lightsabers in Star Wars. Oh, it's not Star Wars if there's no lightsabers, right? People need lightsabers. And it (laughs) turns out the answer, of course, is no. People don't need hobbits. Um, But, you know, but producers think they're smart. And so, yeah, and that's why we ended up with the stranger who I had, uh, again, various theories about and. He was, I, I think the actor who, who portrayed him, similar to Nori, did a very good job. Like, I, I enjoyed seeing, like, it's hard to convey the idea of uh, an incarnate spirit, uh, like, figuring out what it's like to have a body. <laughs> it's, like, right, right. a difficult thing to, like, imagine being told that as an act, like, as an actor. You are a thousand, you are a, a being who has existed since time immemorial, and you have just been given a body. So that's what you're supposed to act out. Get get you got it okay, so he did a very he did a very good job with that. But then in this this finale episode, uh, when he f- finally like they the, they did the worst misdirection of all time when basically like these people who were <laughs> following him around who yeah. had this really hostile intent they think he's Sauron. This is shown in the opening uh, scene of the finale. I was totally unpersuaded by this. I'm just like, here, this is not going to pan out. We're going to see it's false within the next twenty minutes, <laughs> and I. Well, it was it to was too right. little, too late, right? It's it, it would have been a great misdirect if we if we had heard them say something like that when they showed up. I want to say it was like episode four or five, something like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I don't remember. But if they say, "Oh, you know, we need to," they're conversing with each other. We need to find Lord Sauron and restore him to his rightful place, or whatever. And so we know what their goal is. Where, you know, in reality, like the way the show was actually, the story was told, we don't know what their goal is. So they're just wandering around causing mayhem. And then finally, I sorry, let me back up and just say, um, they should have said something earlier so that we as the audience think, oh my gosh, that's Sauron. And how does this fit in with the rest of the story? And then they pull the rug out from under you in, in episode eight and you see it's not Sauron. And, and that could have been interesting um you know yeah. it could have been ham-handed but uh but as it stands it was it was very ham-handed as you say and even even more so the once the stranger basically gets his act together and once i heard one of those evil people whisper the word astari then i'm like oh here we go and so they <laughs> they don't uh so he acts very wizard-like then confirms that he's a wizard and then oh Follow your nose, Nori. Oh my gosh. That, mm-hmm. I just I booed at the screen when I heard that because I was just hoping all season long. I was like, look, there's so many people. There's so many beings this guy could be. There's even so many Astar, other Astari this guy could be. Why? And it's not confirmed that he's he's Gandalf yet. But yeah, it is. All yes, it is. Is it confirmed? Just the, the nose thing has essentially. I mean, confirmed let's, it? yeah, as you say, it's all but confirmed. Like the nose and like this, this mysterious uh, Gandalfian affinity for hobbits. It's like, why, why like, oh, because he spent all this time with them uh, in the second age. And yeah, I was just very disappointed by that revelation. I mean, th- there'll be, th- th- there's p- a possibility that interesting things can happen out, out in the East. Like we, we have no idea what really happens in the East. That's never really been in shown. Room, in yeah. Any, that's going to be fun. In any Tolkien stuff, like there's a lot of uh, scope for um, stories there, but I'm just, why did it have to be Gandalf? Like we know, there's so many other possibilities. There, then there, does it, do you have to stick with Gandalf? I just, 
we've had enough Gandalf. No offense to him. He's very important. It's but... the it's the same it's the same thing as the Hobbits, you know. Oh, it's Lord of the Rings. We need we need characters that people can latch onto. No, you don't. You do not. Um yes, these like characters like Galadriel and Elrond, like they were around. Yes, okay, they should be in the story. They were involved in the story. But it's kind of showing a contempt for the audience. Like, oh, you can't handle this unless you have something that that we think you can latch on to hobbits and gandalf and all that um and again kind of like with what i was talking about earlier with the other stuff i would be willing to forgive it probably if it were handled better but instead they do the follow your nose thing and it's a bit again let's bring it back to star wars again you remember the there's the bit in um uh, rogue one where which is you know a perfectly fine serviceable movie uh and then it comes to a screeching halt about three quarters of the way through and you get 90 seconds of c3po and r2d2 in a garage talking to each other oh yeah for for no reason other than to give people a chance to say i recognize that thing so i clap you know uh-huh. uh and so if you want to put gandalf in fine but please, please don't write a line like follow your nose, which is obviously meant to just give people who have seen the movies a chance to clap and say, oh, my gosh, I recognize that thing. This is yeah. wonderful. Like, it's I don't know. Yeah, it's you, it's instead, very condescending and stupid. Instead of that, you get people like me to boo, uh, not clap, because it's just too, you might say on the nose. On the nose. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Jack. Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, so. Overall thoughts on the 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 last episode of the first season, just on its own terms. Uh, on its own terms, some very sloppy, sloppy storytelling. Um, however, it did have its moments. For instance, as much crap as we've been talking on the uh, Harfoot storyline, the scene when uh nori says her goodbyes to her family and her friends and goes off with uh you know all but confirmed gandalf it was genuinely affecting for me i liked that um some you know people were saying it went on too long it was interminable i'm like to to such things i'm like hey do you know you're watching a lord of the rings product right (laughs) (laughs) uh but and i admit this probably would hit differently if i didn't have children but i do have children uh, it's not the maybe not the most millennial thing or the most you know under thirty thing in the world, but I have to admit I'm older than you, Jack. So mm-hmm. yeah, I have kids, and because of that, yeah, it it hits a little bit harder. You know, them sending her off with the stranger on some grand adventure. So yeah, that what that was uh, affecting for me. I enjoyed switching gears a little bit. I enjoyed um, the kind of mental confrontation between Galadriel and Sauron. Uh, where he enters her mind and wreaks havoc there it, like that was that was pretty cool that was pretty well handled uh, even if not everything around it was but uh, so there there were things about it that I genuinely enjoyed mm-hmm. uh, but the way that they wrapped up the stupid mysteries well it was inevitably done stupidly <laughs> so <laughs> so it was it was ultimately i think unsatisfying uh, but there are the seeds of some possible enjoyment in there going forward. Okay, we'll get into that a little bit uh, near the end here. But now let's move on to overall impressions of the season. And now there's a lot to say about it. And I want I want to put it in three buckets just for the sake of convenience and because I think these are the most important things to assess. And we should start with the most important thing, 
Lore fidelity. We all love the lore. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's let's sort of wrap up the Galadriel conversation because we mentioned that the boat that she's on, yes. like what, and that this this actually this is probably one of the most uh, contested parts of the show's relationship with the Tolkien lore is the treatment of Galadriel's character. So the reason mm, she's sure. on this boat is that she has essentially been sent back to Valinor, where she's from, the uh, the land from which the elves came, the sort of uh, blissful place where, what does she say, there's like constant singing or whatever. Uh, <laughs> sounds great. Uh, it's like a supermarket, I guess. <laughs> no. it, it reminds me a lot of, um, you know, their old like Farsight cartoons or, or whatever uh, from years and years ago that I used to see where it was kind of poking fun of the idea of heaven. Or it's oh, like yeah. so you sit on a you sit on a cloud and play the harp for eternity, and that sounds <laughs> nice to you, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. So she's Galadriel's been sent back there, but at the last minute, as the boat she's been sent on is about to enter, she jumps off of it because she just doesn't think that she's worthy, or she thinks that there's still evil left in Middle Earth for her to fight. And this is the this is this sets the stage for her character for the whole season who basically pursues her vengeance quest all the way through the end until the point where she realizes that, wow, all of this may have been my fault. So initially, like there was this whole, uh, one of the whole aspects of the, of the big to do about the show before it started was that Galadriel was going to be this girl boss. Yes. Queen character. And it seemed like that was going to happen at least in maybe the first few episodes, but actually I, I think by the end of, of the, the first season, it's it goes so far in the opposite direction that it's almost uh, lore uh, inconsistent in the opposite way, where she's like such a terrible person that you're like, wow, right? Is that uh, that doesn't seem like the character Tolkien made? So what what do you it's, think of the of the Galadriel relationship to the lore that this season showed? Yeah, yeah, it's so the complaint that people had was, well, this doesn't have much relation with the Galadriel we know in the Lord of the Rings, right? She's the lady of Lothlorien and she's tall and magical and ethereal and, you know, aloof um, yes. and all these things. And in this, like you say, the first few episodes, it's it kind of, people felt like it did violence to that because now she's this badass warrior and look at her sword fight against trolls and all this stuff. I didn't mind that one little bit because... Well, it's it's fine. <laughs> Frankly, like over over thirty five hundred years, people can undergo a few changes here and there. That's okay. Right. Um, but it's almost like um, they saw that they like they they think, oh, we need to set up Galadriel to become the Galadriel that we all know. And so we're going to have her screw up so badly that she just <laughs> gives up on everything that she has, you know, held uh, you know as her as her life's mission, as her quest for the last 3000 years. She doesn't care about that anymore uh because she made the volcano erupt in in Mordor. Um and so she it, so does this make sense? It's like the violence to the character ended up going the opposite way because yes. now the the Galadriel that we know in the Lord of the Rings is just like eh, whatever. <laughs> just yeah. go ahead and do whatever you want middle earth because clearly i don't know what i'm doing so uh, I, I it was it was unsatisfying again that's there's that word again yes yeah it was i in like the second or third episode i 
sort of predicted the arc that they were going. I mean, not that I was predicting it, because clearly there was uh, there was going to be a journey to the character we knew, and it would. I thought it would be kind of interesting to show that if done well, like how she decides that strength of arms is not how she will defeat evil. Like that 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 was that was something that could be interesting. But as as we've agreed on here, is almost uh, like an ex- excess in the other direction of like now not only Mordor erupting, but if you if you take Sauron at his word. Essentially, Galadriel created him as well. <laughs> so just like <laughs> everything is Galadriel's fault. And just basically the whole third age is her cleaning up her mess, I guess. I and... will say this, Jack. Can we can we for a moment just appreciate and, and I, I do mean this sincerely, an actual great moment from the show uh, with a good performance from the actors involved, which was after the reveal, uh, quote unquote reveal of Halbrand as Sauron and they have their confrontation. And he's trying to lure her to be by his side and she rejects him, etc. But he does successfully convince her that these rings need to be made. This, you know, this thing must happen for the sake of Middle Earth. And, oh, I just I just love Middle Earth so much. Sure, we have different ways of going about loving Middle Earth. But, <laughs> oh, but you know, this is my home, too. And uh, whatever. Um, and so there's the moment when she goes back in and she assists with the last bit of the creation of the rings um and then elrond finds the scroll that she had earlier found that proves that halbrand was a fraud apparently the elves um, records are better than the numenorians by the way right like didn't the numenorians have the same information i have no idea i don't know whatever who knows what's going on in this show um but anyway so so elrond's character comes in and sees that the rings are done and he and galadriel share a look um and it was kind of this great moment of um, she knows that she's doing the wrong thing, but she hopes it's for the right reason. And she knows like she screwed up a bunch of stuff, but maybe this one will finally work out. And the look that they share, I, I genuinely thought it was a really great bit of acting with no dialogue. Um, so, you know, people can go back and watch that again and see what I mean if they want. But uh, yeah, that, uh, but that... I, I, I don't want to just heap opprobrium upon this show. It did right. have some great moments. Yeah, there, there are, I, I mean, I, I so see episode five, I was not very happy with, but then episode six that ends with Mount Doom erupting that like basically won me back. I was really taken in by everything that happened in that episode. And I actually do think the, uh, the Adar character who seems to be another invention of the show, there's mm-hmm. interesting possibilities for him. I, I don't know how long those possibilities will last now that Sauron is heading back. <laughs> Just like, I don't know how long he is uh he is for this world but uh he was a he was a interesting addition uh to this all but um definitely obviously a deviation uh but the, the the idea like the the thing I found interesting about him is that Tolkien himself was was not really sure what orcs were he was right. he was ambiguous about this like do they have souls do they are they made of from stone like what's their deal with them and so having adar there essentially try advancing a like possibility of you know that we we uruks are just as we have the sacred the secret fire just like you do like he may be totally wrong about that but it's not like a complete deviation because there's actually ambiguity in the the lore about this so that that was interesting to me but less interesting was the mythril um I we've already hinted oh, at this. 
I took Here we great, go. I took great offense to this when it was first introduced. I think it was in episode five, which I really, I basically hated. Because of the way it was shown, it was it seemed like a bastardized version of Glorfindel's fight with was it Gothmog? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The 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 one of the other Balrogs out there, um, previous Balrogs rather. And the the idea advanced in the show is that Mithril is like this this sort of permeation into the earth of the spirit of a Silmaril. And this the Silmaril is, being a holy jewel from the first age. Yes, thank uh, you. Right. For all the yeah. people who who somehow don't are know still what here. that is <laughs> and who are still listening to this. Um and the 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 elves desperately need basically their Silmaril supplements to uh to stay alive. Oh oh. I was just, when I saw that I was like so in my theory of the show where Sauron had not actually shown up yet, but was like feeding lies to people. I was like, okay, I can really see this being a lie that Sauron tells to the elves to make them think like we need to, we need to take our Silmaril supplements. Otherwise we'll fade from existence. But no, it seems that that, that, that understanding of Mithril was not completely confirmed by the events of the show, except in as much as, the the rings of power that do get made at the very end of this season have mithril in them and presumably that is what gives them their power right or like the main it's the main source <sighs> of their power i don't know it all seems it all seems really mm. weird to me and i it's certainly deviation so so let's talk about headcanon for a second yeah because <laughs> okay headcanon is obviously it's going to be purely subjective it's individual to each person you have your own headcanon about how things work so what is the one ring or the three elven rings or whatever what are they how do they work what is the magic within them and you can come up with your own kind of explanation for how these things work but even in your own head if you bother you know if, if you care enough to come up with headcanon for how the three elven rings work and what it means that they're imbued with the power of uh, of preservation and all this that headcanon will make sense at least to some extent in your own head right it's going to make sense the story presented in the show makes no sense it so the elves need Mithril to survive now, 2,500 years plus after the Silmarils were destroyed, or lost, I guess is a better word for it. After the Silmarils were lost, now, 2,500 years later, suddenly, without the the Mithril, this this kind of like uh, lightning bastardized version of, uh, of a Silmaril, without Mithril, now they're going to die. Uh, the evidence being the tree, right, is is wilting and rotting. See, I thought Sauron uh, was going to be like messing with the tree, right? In the background. Right, something, something like that. And so, but no, there's no, it's not Sauron around there. I, I mean, potentially, I guess. No, no, because he's with Galadriel the whole time. So, yeah. So it's presented as the elven people that, like, each elf needs a measure of the light of Valinor that came through the trees and was entrapped in the Silmarils and now is encased in this dwarven mountain. They need that light to survive now for some reason. Uh, and, and so the solution now is to create three elven rings with a tiny little shred of Mithril in them 
And that is going to suffice for the entirety of the elven race and its future in Middle-earth because three elves are wearing them. This makes no sense on its own terms, like within its own, you know, again, headcanon, I guess if we call the show headcanon, it's, you know, the writer's headcanon. It doesn't like it. Nothing computes about that. And so as far as a lore deviation, yes, I was one of the people. This was the only time in the show that I did this, but I literally yelled at my TV screen. (laughs) Like this, it's not okay. This, (laughs) this deviation is not okay. But if you're going to make it at least tell a decent story with that deviation. And they didn't, it doesn't make any sense on its own terms. So boo the Silmaril tree, boo the Mithril (laughs) storyline, boo all that stuff. Yeah, I'm basically with you on that. So those were two of the biggest bones of contention. Uh, Are there any others that you want to complain about before we try to assess the overall and perhaps even uh, figure out if there are any that we're okay with? (laughs) Any like deviations that I wasn't. I mean, there there are many, but like any that were that. So you said that was the, the Silmaril thing was the only thing that made you yell at your TV. It was because, you know, uh, Jack, this is a, a topic that I'm sure is near and dear to your heart, but uh, our, our society takes itself way too seriously <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know, and, and not like on- have, but um, online yes. culture. Yeah, but online culture, it, it takes itself so seriously and um, we all get up in arms about the smallest things. And I really did my very best before the show started to push back in my own little way in my own little corner of the internet to push back and just say look let's let it be what it will be and if it's that bad, my it'll attitude be bad. also and if yeah. it's if it's good it'll be good and that's that's all fine but can we all stop being hysterical about a right. tv show right um so so anyway with that attitude going in i mean we've already talked about uh the harfoots and the gandalf stuff being compressed and there's some stuff about the Numenorians that doesn't quite work with the lore. I honestly, it's fine. It's fine. There, yes, there's a line, and and Mithril Tree was way over that line. Yeah. But I I draw my line pretty far down where you know I'm willing to excuse a lot. So so yeah, we can talk about lore deviations. But if they had told a good story with them, I would have been fine. I don't yeah. know. Do you have any other like pet issues that you had? Um, it's not entirely clear to me I, the the nature of uh, Farazone. Mm, uh, yeah. He's presented somewhat ambiguously. I mean, he's clearly up to something, but is he? Has was there anything in the first season that suggested that he's actually like in the royal line, or did I did I miss that? I think I, I that's a great question. I don't know that they did do that. They might have mentioned that he was Muriel's cousin, um, which mm, he is. Bad, bad things on the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you if uh, House of the Dragon didn't give you your fill of incest, just wait. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, it's not as bad as brother and sister, but yeah, it's presumably in the second season he'll force Muriel to marry him um, and become king of Numenor. So. Uh, Anyway, I, I have no idea what question I was answering. No, I was just asking. You asked. I, you weren't. Uh, I oh, I asked you. Well, I, I asked you a question to defray. You're asking me a question. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So we'll move on. Let's move on. I think your your takeaway basically about lore deviations. That's basically where I stand as well. Um, 
if it's too over the line, then I'm going to be unhappy. But it, like, I'm willing to tolerate things if, if a good story is being told. And if the central spirit of Tolkien is not being totally violated. But we'll get we'll get to that in a second. As for the more um, basic ground level uh, cons- world building stuff. How did you yeah. how do you how do you assess the first season as just a, a pure like fantasy world building effort? Do you think it succeeded at that? Uh, it's tricky because it's a world that has largely already been built, but not um, exactly as it's supposed to be in this season. Right, right. But uh, yeah. So okay, if we just take the show on its own terms, uh, it's missing it's missing connective tissue. So I like a lot of the individual pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see much of Lindon, but we, you know, we do see kind of uh, Gilgalad's throne room and all that, or if we want to call it that. Uh, I love Casa Doom. That was yeah. a great set. Uh, Numenor did, is fabulous. Dwarves. Yeah, we haven't talked much about dwarves. That's okay. Um, Numenor is fabulous. Well, I, I even like uh, what they did with the Southlands, i.e., Mordor. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, you know, I, I, I love the, uh, oh, and there's another, like, an awful thing to do lore-wise, but it's a really fun game to play is Shadow of Mordor. Um, oh, yeah, terrible, that, that's terrible lore, lore deviations, lore. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but one thing that I appreciated about that was that they took you, you know, a few hundred miles south to Lake Nurnan, uh, where it's green and lush, and you can you grow things and support orc armies, and, you know, so they kind of show you that, in a similar vein, I actually like the Southland storyline and the aesthetic where it's like, hey, this is a, a land that actually supports people and, and has, you know, potential, whatever, yeah. uh, before it gets blasted out by a volcano. Anyway, so my my long-winded answer here is there were so many little bits uh, or big bits that I really enjoyed, but the connective tissue tying all these storylines and places together wasn't there. I mean, it's kind of like we talked about with Galadriel writing with a, a deathly injured um, Halbrand for hundreds and hundreds of miles, you know, over the course of what, a, a two or three days, it sounded like, um, where the, the geographical compression made the world feel fake mm-hmm. in a way that yeah. Jackson's version of it felt quite real. Yeah, I agree with that. It, so contrived i guess yeah that's basically how i feel i mean the i think numenor as a as a setting as as well as casa doom and the southlands were all very well done and there are places that i would like to see more of i mean we did not i I said this already but i'll say it again we needed more dwarves i want more dwarves (laughs) uh well they have and they have that balrog to deal with i was that was a moment when at the end of that episode, I think that was episode seven. Was that the last we saw of the dwarves? I think it was where that, yeah. uh, that, that leaf drifts down f- further and further into the cave. I started chanting with the people I was watching ball rock ball rock. <laughs> and then when it showed up, I was like, yeah, ball rock. And then, but then we didn't, we didn't see it. It's, it's just, li- it's lingering down there. Is that Duran's Bane, by the way? I assume it, uh, I, it has to be, which, again really messes with the storyline or yeah. the timeline uh but uh it's gotta be yeah i i assume so uh not good news for durin if that's durin spain uh <laughs> not good news for him at all but uh okay yeah i think we're basically in agreement on that on the uh, the the world building stuff so last thing then uh, in this sort of overall portrait uh, spirit of tolkien 
like I think my and I mentioned this in my uh, season one takeaway. I think that a lot of authentically Tolkien elements came through power, bad corruption, bad uh, friendship guy. There was a pretty clear delineation between good and evil. And I think even the way you, you met, you got into this a little bit already, but even the way that Sauron understands himself is an authentic presentation of like a Tolkien version of evil. Cause Sauron the whole one of the whole essences of his character, and he has this in common with Saruman, is that he is incapable of distinguishing between order and uh, like and evil. Basically, he thinks that if he the, the chaos of the world is the problem, and if it's rectified in some way, then that that's a good thing. But there, there's just he doesn't understand how violating people's uh, like sovereignty and will is uh, a, a possible bad consequence of doing this. So I thought that was. I think there are a lot of actual elements where that part of Tolkien comes through. And I, I can't, I'm trying to think of an instance where like, forget all of the lore deviations and, and character stuff where, where something happened that was just truly like egregious just on like in the terms of the Tolkien moral universe. Can you think of anything like that that happened? Uh, that was, that was, yeah, aside from lore deviations, not so much. Yeah. I I think the most Tolkieny stuff was probably with the Harfoots, you know, as far as um, you know, family and friendship and all that stuff. But even there, it's a little bit uh uh watered down or yeah. something. <laughs> it's uh you know, the the Harfoots, you know, no one walks alone. Uh, until you fall behind all right see you later <laughs> you know um right. so there it's not like it was purely greatly well done whatever um well i think that the harfoots clearly like they're they need to they're they're on their way to realizing that they need a pl- to settle down in a place i think that's right. their that's the meta narrative of their if, if we if we see them again as a group we, for the rest of the show which we may not i mean i, I wouldn't be that offended if we didn't see them but That'll probably be like they'll it's, end up in the fifth season. We need to have some place. We'll call it the Shire, where we can just be. Um, so they haven't gotten there yet. Their their idea, if, their if ideology isn't fully formed yet. <laughs> right, right. If there's one thing that uh, again we haven't talked much about the dwarves, but maybe we can kind of uh, mention them in passing here. If there's one thing that the Lord of the Rings, per se. Uh, has at its core it is the idea of friendship and cooperation working together toward a dare i say it common good um (laughs) and uh and you're doing this in the face of uh, this totalitarian unitary force this system you know where sauron sits at the top of it he is he has the one ring he is the master he is the lord of the ring um so so you have the one versus the many and i think we're kind of getting at that here in the rings of power as well so one of the most uh delightful aspects of the lord of the rings is the friendship between legolas and gimli because mm-hmm. it becomes clear that elves and dwarves they don't trust each other and um and they haven't trusted each other for thousands of years but every once in a while there exists you know some friendship that crops up um, either between nations or individuals. And I, I 
I really like the Elrond and Durin storyline for that reason, because it kind of nods at a very Tolkien-esque uh, bit of philosophy where it's, hey, look, we're all on the same side here. Let's, you know, put aside petty grievances and work toward the, the greater good. Um, and, and so that was one aspect of that storyline that I quite enjoyed uh, is that friendship. Yeah, that was pretty good. I, I agree with with enjoying that part. Uh, but again, the, the weird understanding of Mithril in the show is lurking in the background of enjoying even that element of it. <laughs> um, I just wish it would have been so much more interesting if it were, if that were a, a lie of Sauron in some way, I don't know how they would have yeah. done it, but Oh, well, I don't want to dwell too much on m- my thinking. I could have written it better or something. Well, uh, <laughs> you, you probably should... could have written it better you could have done it better jack that's all uh, look i'm I just mean, saying almost... they should have I... called us yeah you yeah, should have called us right or they should have called uh I, I i discovered this account uh middle earth mixer on twitter i'll give it a shout out <laughs> I don't it's, know. it's very it's a very funny account he he has offered uh to basically be a consultant for the second season uh because he <laughs> knows all this stuff but yeah, I mean, it is, these guys are like, I think this is the first thing they've actually produced on their own. I think they've only that been is... script doctors and, and background yeah. consultants for everything beforehand. I, I, but based on the, um, there was a news story that emerged uh, maybe last week or two weeks ago about the other possibilities for what the show could have been. Apparently the Russo brothers were in the running <laughs> and there was like, there was like a, an Aragorn prequel there. Like there was all sorts of garbage circle circulating. So yeah, I think there, there's probably going to have been something worse that came out of this. Uh, which well, is- it, and maybe we should, maybe we should take a moment to offer some sort of excuse for the way that the show turned out. Yeah, let's uh, do that. Cause we're now is, in the final thoughts. Okay, uh, good. Is it, is it possible that the show could have been better than it was? I'm not entirely convinced. Um, yeah. They, yeah, they could have made some other decisions. You know, we've talked about plenty of them. I'm not going to rehash them here. But the point being, when you do a show like this, when Amazon spends a billion dollars to produce a show like this... <laughs> I just, just I'm laughing at the, at the figure because that's what it is. It's so absurd. It's, I know. It's absolutely it's just... absurd. But you spend a billion dollars. Well, Amazon isn't going to spend a billion dollars and give it to a couple of untested showrunners and say, have fun. You're writing by committee. And Uh it becomes very, very clear as the show goes on, you know, how uh, kind of watered down and poll tested and washed out of individual imagination it really is. Um, And so already you're, you're set up in a situation where you're probably not going to create something that is um, terribly original or interesting. All right. So that's part one. Part two is the Tolkien estate. Mm, and yes, our the friends I- of the Tolkien estate. <laughs> oh boy. I, I've resisted until this show came out. I've resisted being too vocal about this, but uh, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to go ahead and say it, Jack. Screw the oh. Tolkien estate. They've they've messed up this show and they oh. I think they did it deliberately. I think they did it with malice oh. before thought. The idea that you would sell the rights um, or, or so they didn't have to sell the rights, but uh, the, the rights to the appendices of the Lord of the Rings get sold. 
Um, and then you go to the Tolkien estate and like, you say, hey, we need to use the Silmarillion. And they say, heck no, how dare you sully our you know grandfather's uh, work with your dirty Amazonian capitalist hands, whatever. <laughs> and so they refuse. And in so doing, completely kneecap the show uh, so that you get awkward moments like uh, like the fact that uh, they, they reference Yavanna, the, the goddess of growing things, um, yes. but they can't name her. So, so you can reference her, but you can't name her because that's in the Silmarillion and you don't have the rights to the Silmarillion and it creates awkward moments like that. And you have to create a different storyline for what happened to the Silmarils at the end because, uh, the, because the quote unquote true story is in the Silmarillion and, yeah. you know, and so you have to create this ridiculous tree storyline. So my point just being, could it have been any better? I'm not sure. And I am starting to come to the understanding that we need to lay a lot of the blame for this at the feet of the Tolkien estate. Um, and it, it's, it's a, a bit like we've been talking about with, with Galadriel in rushing to, uh, you know, avoid destiny. She ends up finding it right uh, yeah, she brings Sauron to power in trying to find him and, and destroy him. Um, similarly, the Tolkien estate doesn't want these adaptations to sully the, you know, the, the legacy of their grandfather. But by working against that or by, by working toward that goal, they end up uh, kind of secondhandedly creating products that do violence to the yeah, legacy okay. of the of tolkien um so this is an I'm, unexpectedly I'm hot take i didn't i was not expecting this uh but i'm i'm persuaded by it i yeah, saved the, it to the end so that nobody would hear it jack <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that was my understanding initially was that the silmarillion would be and it, it actually this was this misconception of mine was not corrected until relatively recently obviously before the show started, but I had just assumed for a long time, like, oh, they'll be able to draw from the Silmarillion. That'll be right. interesting. No, sorry. No Silmarillion for you. And that's a real, that's a real uh, debilitating thing because there's a lot in the Silmarillion that could be useful for something like this. And so, yeah, I think you're right that there are a lot of limitations that have been imposed on this thing. And so it may almost be worth judging it on, on, a, on a curve of like all of these uh all of these imposed uh caveats that it has to work around there's just not not the ideal situation you want for your second age lord of the ring adaptation so no, keep that no, in I'm mind not... when you pitch yours <laughs> which but you've now lost the favor of the tolkien estate so you're never gonna get it um, oh darn oh so man what go. am i gonna do <laughs> oh, way gee. to go good job uh so final thoughts then better or worse i didn't watch wheel of time Better or worse than the Wheel of Time adaptation? Oh, gosh. Uh, uh, it's actually remarkably similar in its quality and uh, uh, and its kind of adherence to source material. I, okay. I put them I put them very, very close together. Okay. You can uh, listeners can read Craig's review of the Wheel of Time adaptation on Nash Review's website. Uh, oh, that's so right. <laughs> yeah, you reviewed it. Uh, so I, I'm going to reread that and, and see what uh, you, your take on that may ha end up very similar to my take on the Rings of Power, at least the first season. Yeah. Um, is there a chance for it to be better in the future? Yes. 
if they if they can clean up their storytelling, then then a lot of the lore deviations will be forgiven. But until that happens, uh, well, Godspeed, I suppose. <laughs> uh, arrow speed that that is. Um, <laughs> but uh, when you said when you said that someone was aloof earlier, I wanted to say aloofatar. <laughs> but I, I said that's that it. would have been worth an interruption, Jack. You should. Yeah, I didn't it. do it. I lost the opportunity, so I'm just going to dish it out now. Uh, <laughs> what was the other thing? Uh, will you keep watching? Yes. Uh, this may be we're, we're maybe getting into the fallacy of sunk costs at this point. Oh but yeah, we are. A, a significant chunk of my life has been dedicated to Middle Earth. I'm not going to not watch a Middle Earth show. The one caveat I will put on that is that uh, I I feel like I'm okay to do that because I do, I, I, I'm mature enough at this point not to lose my absolute gourd over a bad <laughs> adaptation uh-huh. um, and go completely crazy online and off <laughs> as some people seem to be doing. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so my thing has always been, it, and before the show started, I was telling my listeners this over at the other, uh, the, my podcast, um, if you can't, watch if you don't think you'll be able to handle a bad adaptation please don't watch it and if you uh-huh. do don't engage in the conversation just let it go live your life you know right. go on your way um and so that that's my only caveat to that is i i feel like i'm able to just kind of let it go if it's not good and so yes i'm going to continue watching it yeah i i could see some lore deviation being so egregious that i'm if if I'm not just outright giving up on it, it will just totally alter the approach I have to watching it. Like if, like if Elrond marries Galadriel, it's like all right, we're out of here. Yeah, we're like okay, this is now <laughs> this is now a camp adaptation of Lord of the Rings. Uh, there, I, I should expect a musical. Uh, like like the uh, did you ever watch the Soviet the Fellowship? Oh no, I thought you were going to talk about the uh, the the musical theater no, production musical, that was also, on in London. I, I have not seen the musical, but I have. I did watch the Soviet Lord of the Rings adaptation. Um, it's. I understand. It's absolutely insanity. Oh, it's great. Uh, but there, when they get in that, when they get into Lothlorien, there's like a weird elf uh, musical that happens around them. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> so, like, who that. knows? Maybe they'll. If that something like that happens, then it's just a different product, and you have to enjoy it differently. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I highly recommend to you and to everyone who is a Lord of the Rings fan to watch the Soviet Lord of the Rings. It's just so, it just has this incredible bonkers energy to it. Because <laughs> they have a, a budget of approximately five rubles to work with. But despite that, like Tom Bombadil is in it. It's just crazy. <laughs> like he, he's a, and it totally actually putting Tom Bombadil in the adaptation. It like restructures the whole story because he becomes a huge part of everything that happens. So it's it's a completely different product in that respect. Besides all of the other weird things that happen uh, in the show or in that adaptation. But anyway, uh, enough about that. Final question then. Uh, let's see. Would you prefer to give it a, a letter grade or a ranking out of 10 or out of 100? Oh, oh gosh. Uh, oh, I, I don't, Jack, this is your show. What do you want me to do? I feel like a grade out of 100 gives you the most possibility for being specific. <laughs> okay letter grade out of 100 or not a letter grade out of 100 obviously. or sorry a, a number a number grade I out of the one who said letter grade out of 100 if that's what i meant if that's what i said that's obviously not what i meant although theoretically every if if there's an infinite amount of numbers eventually uh every, uh, letters are numbers also 
Uh, oh, oh gosh. All right. Sorry. I just watched that Netflix documentary about infinity. So. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Sorry. Well, okay. I won't distract you uh, any further. Uh, out of a hundred, this is difficult because is it for the show as a whole? Cause the production value, the design, the costuming, that was all great. The acting was at least good. Um, the writing was bad. The yeah, whatever. Uh, the CGI was all over the place. So overall, I think I would probably give it a 65 out of a hundred. Yeah. That's about smart. where I was. Yeah. So right in there. yeah, with some wiggle room in there, but, um, but it, it's, it's more good than bad, but the bad stuff is just so much more fun to talk about on a right. podcast like this. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. That, that is, that is a, an assessment I share as well. Um, so yeah, that, that was the last question I had about the show. I usually also ask, uh, since this is the young Americans, although I'm increasingly an unyoung American, if there's anyone under 30, we shouldn't trust, but I, I don't think that's, I mean, we shouldn't, well, I I gave away my, the way I'll change the show uh, when I turn 30. (laughs) Uh, maybe is there anyone, uh, is there anyone under the age 3000 we shouldn't trust? That's, I guess that's a better question. (laughs) Can we just stick with the uh, the Tolkien estate? I don't trust them. I don't trust them to be the stewards and gatekeepers of their grandfather's legacy. So, do you think go. this is? Uh, do you not trust them since Christopher died? Do you think Christopher was good? He, he at least it's um it's with Christopher. It was a a claim of legitimacy. He had a, a yeah, serious claim of legitimacy. Yeah. Um, where you know, he grew up with these stories. He helped his father out with them. And then obviously did a lot of yeoman's work after his father died and all that. So, so as a gatekeeper, he had legitimacy, even if I disagreed with a lot of his takes on that. Um, But now that he's gone, the only possible person I think left in the whole world who could act as a singular gatekeeper for middle earth is Tom Shippey. Craig Hanks. Oh, sorry. And I don't, (laughs) and I don't think Tom Shippey is very interested in that necessarily i i i could be wrong i'd have to ask him but uh, <laughs> um so anyway what 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 was i saying who am i what is truth time is a flat circle i i what's going you're the on gatekeeper I, I shouted that you should you're the gatekeeper not, not i am the, not the gatekeeper and it's yeah that is the the thing that's driving me crazy is that um everybody on the internet is acting like middle earth belongs to them and that they are the gatekeeper and it's yes. it's kind of making me go a little batty yeah, I agree with that. Like, as I said about the... So, late last year, I wrote a 20th anniversary appraisal of the Jackson trilogy for National Review. And my conclusion... Because, of course, after, you did. Right. Well, I was asked to, actually. Oh, but okay. I mean, not that, not that it, I was. I would have probably done this on my own. But uh, <laughs> at the end, after going through some of the, the flaws and the complaints that people like Christopher Tolkien had, I, I concluded by saying something like, at the very least, the virtue of the of the movies is to point people toward the source material, and that that's that's worthwhile. And I think that's exactly. happening here also. I mean, if people if people from this like either go to the the legendarium for the first time or return to it, great. And it, it, yeah, because right, it belongs to everyone. How many people have read the Lord of the Rings and then gotten to the appendices and went, "What? I just finished this story," and they close the book and they forget about it. Um, and now they're given a, a reason to go in and delve in. There's some 
fascinating stuff in the appendices. And if you take it a step further and you're like, I'm actually going to read the Silmarillion or at least the last two chapters of it and read uh-huh. about the second and third ages. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. That, that could be a real value of the show, even if it's because they're like, well, that sucked. How did it really go? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe someday when the Tolkien estate is in is in more reliable hands, we'll get our first age of Middle Earth adaptation with fully, fully rights sourced. And we'll see some real crazy stuff. Fully armed and operational, Valinor. Yeah, right. Oh, a man can dream. But anyway, until then, uh, thank you, Craig, for going uh, through this with me. I think we're going to continue on this journey together uh, for good and for ill. Uh, we'll see. I, I, I mean, I don't want it to be bad. I should clarify. No, like, no. I didn't come into this wanting to hate it. And I don't. I hate is not the right word for my... Uh, uh, attitude toward the show and I, if it gets better like I'll be very happy I, it I'm, was I'm a very, hoping for the best it was a very frustrating first season yeah but that that doesn't mean that it is purely bad but it was very frustrating yeah I, I assent to that assessment so until the next season comes out uh, I'm sure we'll keep talking but uh, listeners will have to wait for further assessments of the show until then so goodbye goodbye